Hi, I'm Ty Cooper, Chief Community Development Officer at NJEDA, and this is eConversations. Today is all about brownfields. New Jersey's approach to economic recovery from the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic has been comprehensive and unique. The state's collaborative multi-agency strategy addresses multiple economic challenges and is unique relative to neighboring states, particularly in terms of its accelerated timeline and its targeted approach to ensuring equity and inclusiveness. Nowhere else do you see this as much as when it comes to brownfields and the work that we're doing with the Department of Environmental Protection. Today, I'm incredibly excited to introduce our panelists. And what I want you guys to do after I introduce you is talk about your role in the COVID response and the recovery and impact that you guys have had today through your respective agencies. First, we have Elizabeth Limbrick, Director of Brownfields. Um, we have um, the NJ County Planners Association President, Renee Farr, the NJDEP Administrator, NJDEP Office of Brownfield and Community Revitalization, Bill Linder. Bill, that is a very long title, Bill. And because it's the longest title, I'm going to start with you. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your role and your agency's role um, when it comes to COVID recovery? Hey, thanks, Ty. It's great to be here today. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we do have a long title for our, for our group, but um, yeah, our, the DEP's mission as a whole is about human health and the environment and protecting them and ensuring that, that they are both um, move forward. And so during COVID-19, certainly the department stuck to those goals and we worked closely with, with other agencies and also trying to understand what's happening in our cities who were most severely hit. Um, but one of the things that we do at the EP is, is obviously protecting the water. We can evolve and, and make change with how we do things to pivot during COVID. One of the other issues we're working on is urban parks, open space. Obviously, um, cities were hardest hit during COVID, and we're trying to ensure that uh, access to open space is very important. Uh, people flock to the state parks during COVID recovery, uh, looking for things to do, trying to get outside, trying to stay healthy. So the DEP is certainly very involved and concerned about COVID recovery and, and, and the governor's initiative. Bill, that's awesome. Thank you so much. That was a great overview of DEP and kind of the work that you're doing around COVID. Um, next, we have the NJ County Planners Association President, Renee Farr. If you want to give us a brief overview of who you are and the work that your organization has been doing around COVID, that would be great. Thank you, Ty. Um, I am a principal planner for Atlantic County government, um, but I am the president, as you had mentioned, of the New Jersey County Planners Association. Um, it's an organization of county planners throughout the state who meet and exchange ideas and information and, and discuss topics of interest to the planning community, and particularly in our role as public se sector employees. Uh, as with most agencies throughout the state, there were a lot of questions early on in the pandemic as to how we as an organization could assist our partners and residents. And the association recognized an opportunity given the public health crisis, concerns surrounding climate change, uh, social justice issues. There really was an opportunity to tackle these and other pressing topics in a way that might help to guide the state toward a healthier, more equitable future. Uh, so the association formed what it called the long-term recovery group, which included individuals and organizations th from throughout the state, not just county planners, who shared that common goal. And the result of the effort was the development of a policy paper that provides recommendations for state, county, and local governments to consider as they work to address the impacts of the pandemic 
while also tackling longstanding issues surrounding social justice in the environment. Um, the title of the paper is Creating a Healthier, Prosperous, and More Equitable Future for All New Jersey's Residents. And uh, fittingly to today's topic, the paper specifically calls for the prioritization of brownfields re redevelopment in environmental justice communities. Um, it's not enough to recognize that historical injustices often relegated underserved communities to areas plagued by pollution and environmental issues, uh, but we have to be actively engaged in the transformation of these communities. Um, so the association is really proud of the final product and of the collaboration with the many different partnering agencies, and it really speaks to the rec recognition of the importance of these issues and the attention and focus that we really need to make a difference and improve our communities. Renee, that is amazing. And I think that speaks directly to what we're doing as a state and to see so many parts of government working together as a collaborative is, is phenomenal, especially the work you're doing on a county level. Um, I would love to also make sure that we have the link to that white paper so that we can also add that um, when we post this podcast. I think it'd be great for people to see and hear that. Um, so we'll make sure that we add that on. And last but certainly not least, at least in my book, is Elizabeth Limbrick, who is the director of Brownfields and Sustainability. Um, so Elizabeth, known you for a while, and you came here to focus on brownfields. And during COVID, you found yourself in the most interesting spaces, but truly being able to understand the intersection of all your work when it comes down to community revitalization. So talk about your role, and then let's also talk about what happened during COVID. So. That's right, Ty. There was a lot that happened during COVID that I saw these connections. So I was part of the governor's Restart and Recovery Advisory Council. So I sat on that and helped um, guide some of those sessions, particularly around government and how government can work together um, to get the economy restart and recovery going um, as part of COVID. But another thing that was really interesting for me to see was a lot of this work that we have been doing around environmental justice really translated over to um, things that we could do to really address COVID in a more equitable way. So one of the things I saw um, when you do environmental justice is that you wanna make sure that you're reaching out to communities. And these communities, you know, in New Jersey, we're, we're one of the most diverse states in the nation. And we have a lot of people that speak a lot of different languages and people want to feel invited in um, and feel part of it. And one way that you can reach out to folks is by reaching out to them in their primary language. Um, that allows people to really feel like they're, they're, they truly are invited to the table. And so that's something I learned doing environmental justice activities that translated over as we launched a whole bunch of COVID-19 um, emergency assistance grant programs. Um, and so we were able to use that knowledge and translate um, all of our really uh, pertinent documents for all of these communities that were out there so that people, it was really much more accessible to um, business owners in New Jersey. That's, that's awesome. And I think so spot on. And again, I said it after Renee was done talking, but I think COVID really showcased the state's ability under the leadership of Governor Murphy, how to come together, how to work together, and how, again, to really make sure that we're serving those people that need it the most, and those are the most vulnerable in our communities. Um, so now let's shift over to Brownfields. Um, so Bill, for those that don't know anything about Brownfields, what exactly are they? And how does their cleanup fit into the governor's overall strategy for a stronger, fair, and more equitable New Jersey? 
Thanks, Ty. Um, basically, <laughs> no, when you boil down brownfield, it's really about recycling land. I mean, if you really want to understand what we're talking about, just like you can recycle a plastic bottle or a can, you can also take land that was used for something else and now use it for something new. Um, and I think that that's a really important part of the governor's initiatives on uh, overburdened communities and equitability and being able to take some of these places and make them into something else. And, you know, a little bit more in depth about what a brownfield's more technical definition is it, it's a former or current commercial industrial site that is vacant and or underutilized and either contaminated or suspected to be contaminated. Everybody has these sites in their communities, whether it's an abandoned gas station or a giant factory and, and, and all the things in between those two sites. So that's sort of the basic for what a brownfield is. And, you know, what's, what's interesting about them is that they can serve so many purposes. Number one, they can save green space from being developed. Um, so we don't want our forests or farms necessarily to be transformed into something new. They can take advantage of infrastructure that's already in place in our cities. Um, and, you know, in, in our office, working alongside you guys as partners at EDA, we've been able to uh, transform sites into either new industries, uh, new commercial sites that, that both create jobs. Uh, some brownfields can turn into residential sites. Other brownfields can turn into open space, like I mentioned earlier, which is very critical, you know, in times of, uh, of COVID and trying to get our people outside and healthy and, you know, like I mentioned earlier, these projects can be transformative for the areas that we're working in. And, um, and certainly the governor, the governor's office and the DEP and the EDA are all interested in, in transforming our sites and our overburdened communities and ensuring equitability for the people who live there. And then just touching on really quickly with the governor's stronger fair plan, he made sure that brownfields were part of that. And so central to his work around economic development and recovery, Brownfields has always played a central role. But I think it's especially important to kind of note that and pinpoint that, A, because of the communities that they're serving, but also a strong acknowledgement that Brownfields are a really big part of economic development. If you want stronger, fairer, safer communities, it really does kind of all start with that redevelopment of Brownfields. Um, so this is a question for everybody on here. Um, in your experience, what type of complexities have developers encountered when they were evaluating a brownfield site um, as a potential redevelopment opportunity? And then how do they decide to pursue a complex brownfield site? And also, well, I guess we'll shift into the, the loan program afterwards, but what are some of the biggest pain points for developers when it comes to brownfields? And then how do they actually select the sites? And that can be for anybody. So Renee, Elizabeth, or Bill. Uh, this Renee here, I can jump in. Um, I would say that for any developer, um, uncertainty equals risk. And traditionally for brownfield redevelopment, there's always been a certain degree of risk involved, um, but there's also great reward both for the developer and for the community. Um, so for brownfields, developers are understandably hesitant to face some of the potential liabilities or the timeframes associated with remediation and the regulatory processing. And certainly financing is one of the biggest. Um, but aside from these factors, uh, developers can also face resistance and opposition from the community if their vision for the property doesn't match the community's vision. So communication um, really is key for these types of projects. Um, so again, there can be tremendous reward in pursuing these types of projects, and there's so many benefits to communities. And the best way to do that is to commit the resources necessary to reduce or remove those obstacles wherever possible. 
and the loan program uh, is a great opportunity to, to do that, to meet that critical need and allow these projects to proceed and become successful. And Elizabeth, before you joined the great team over here at EDA, you had a lot of experience with developers, a lot of experience with, with brownfields. Can you give us a little bit more detail about some of their pain points? Again, um, is there a listing? How do they find them? But what's the selection process? And then Bill, please feel free to jump in. There's all these different perspectives again. Um, go ahead, Elizabeth. So I, I definitely agree. I have to echo everything Renee uh, mentioned. It's about there's the uncertainty. Um, of, of, you know, the fear really of, you know, what is at the site. They're, they're afraid. Some, some are afraid of what kind of contamination is there and what are they getting themselves into kind of question. Um, I don't think that that's so much of a reality as it is a perception, quite frankly, because we do have ways to address these kinds of issues with programs like this new Brownfield Loan Program that you mentioned. Um, I think, you know, as Renee mentioned, you know, timing can also be a pain point for developers as well. And, you know, we have other programs that, that I'm sure Bill will want to talk about as well, like um, the Community Collaborative Initiative at DEP that can help to start to address those kinds of issues as well. Um, but the Brownfield Loan Program is a really great new way to provide specific funding for brownfield remediation projects. So it fills that gap. Um, you know, if you think about it, it, it actually turns out that something like a third of properties assessed under the US EPA's uh, brownfield grant programs turn out to not even need environmental remediation, but they're stuck at that early stage because people are afraid that they might have contamination that needs to be dealt with. So first of all, our funds can be actually used for assessment. So you can, you know, get those projects um, up and moving quite quickly. For those that actually require um, more investigation and more remediation, we have this, this program, which is going to provide loans of between $100,000 and $5 million per project to address that financing gap. So if you think about, you know, what are these costs? How do I manage them? This program is such a great way to do that because it also is designed specifically with brownfields in mind. So it's a very low interest rate. And then on top of that, we set the terms up so that the first two years, there's no payments. And then the next two years, there's interest only. And I think my point with that is that the, developer now has an opportunity to get in there do the remediation and then start to realize his vision for the property and the community's vision for the property and um, start to have that return on investment before he or she would need to pay that loan back you know that that's great thanks so much and elizabeth one of the things i do want to highlight again we think this is hands down the best brownfield revolving loan fund program in the nation I put that little challenge out there because I really do think it is the best one. Um, it's been so creative with use of funds. What's different with this one than previous ones? So there have been other brownfield programs. Why is this one different? Are we are we offering additional resources up front? What makes this one different and better? And then Bill, feel free to jump in because I know you're a major part of this program as well. So one of the things that I think makes this program so very special is what you can use the funding for. Um, you know, most programs are going to pay for actual cleanup, you know, digging the dirt out, that kind of stuff. Our program pays for that, but it also pays for demolition. 
uh, structural issues, asbestos abatement, lead-based paint, um, hazardous waste disposal. So all it's all these other things that are so hard to find funding for that our program finances that I think is really setting it apart and going to you know really show how su a successful program uh, can be run. And then in addition to that, I think those terms that I mentioned earlier, again, you know where you know in the early years you don't have any payments and then it goes into interest only payments, giving you that opportunity to get in there, complete the remediation, um, and then you know, have the development actually come to fruition before you have to start making all those uh, payments to pay back the loan. I, I think that's really um, the secret of this particular program. 100% I wanted to make sure you got that out there and I have to say quite impressive with all the financial knowledge on how to get this stuff done and why it's going to be so much more beneficial. Bill I'm going to jump over to you real quick. Elizabeth referenced this earlier but there's a lot of work that's being done in collaboration with DEP. Um, how is DEP during this process been more engaged with local communities um, and also how are they how are they addressing revitalizing brownfield sites but I think it's that community partnership in this new relationship with EDA that is making such a huge difference? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and we've, we've truly learned by the work we're doing in this new program um, called the Community Collaborative Initiative, which is uh, the DEP has placed employees in 12 cities to really act as a partner. And this program has been funded through the EDA. And, and it really, it's just a great, example of collaborative government and doing government better, doing government differently, and leveraging each other's skills, leveraging each other's programs and money, and just trying to understand better what's happening on the ground in the city. So, you know, like I said, we're in 12 cities in the state, and we literally have an employee who that's their job is to work closely with the people, uh, the, gov the mayor's office, um, some of the local community groups, and just have a better understanding of what the community needs are. Um, you know, we've worked for a long time in places like Hamden, for example. And, you know, sometimes even though the certain board we were working in Camden had two Superfund sites and, you know, a, a few dozen Brownfield sites, the, the particular project they were interested in working on was a gas station site and, and that had not only contaminated uh, underground storage tanks, but also there's flooding in the area and being able to turn that site uh, into a rain garden and clean the site up for the community and resolve some of the flooding issues, the, um, the illegal activities operating on the site. We, we, we as an agency, as scientists, learned a lot just being able to listen to the community. They understand best what they need, and that was the project that they were interested in pursuing instead of what we would have thought as the scientists uh, pursuing Superfund and another another site. So, you know, it's really important to just understand the community needs. And I know that Governor Murphy's administration is particularly interested in, in making sure that the underserved are heard. So we, we really are excited to be part of this program and, and we've had some really nice success so far. I think that's great. And, and again, Renee, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump over to you. We've been talking a lot about collaboration on the, the state level, and this is something that I think is great breaking down those walls you know, not operating in such a siloed space as well, um, but would also love to know more about the coordination done at a county or local level um, that's going to enable the revitalization efforts to move along um, a little bit quicker. Okay, thanks. Um, so it's important to note that different counties offer varying types and degrees of assistance to redevelopers and to municipalities for brownfield projects. 
Um, some efforts are directly through the county planning offices. Uh, for others, assistance is provided through designated county economic development offices. Um, in many cases, particularly in more urbanized areas around the state, county planners can be a great resource um, for these efforts. They can provide no-cost technical and planning assistance to municipalities um, when they're developing redevelopment plans, re-examination reports, circulation studies. Um, most, if not all, counties post employment data on their website. They can provide web mapping services. And county planners can also help to facilitate discussions um, between developers and municipalities. Um, so I would encourage anyone considering Brownfield through development to take a look at what their um, local county planning department can offer in the way of resources or, um, or assistance. Um, that's on the county level for potential developers or landowners. I would definitely stress again that communication with the municipality and engagement with the community early in the process uh, really is critical to your efforts and can help to avoid issues further in the process. But um, really touching on what everybody said, there's so many different programs and efforts um, focused on this where we can really pool a number of different resources that are available to move these projects forward and improve our communities. I think that's fantastic. And this has been such a wealth of information. I want to give folks a chance to give some really quick closing um, comments. Bill, we'll start with you, then we'll jump right to Renee and end out with Elizabeth. But just quick closing comments. Yeah, I think this Brownfield Loan Program is really going to be helpful for, for developers throughout the state. One of the things Elizabeth touched on was, was the ability to do demolition of uh, buildings. And there's other funding sources to do remediation, but that was one of the key links that was that was missing. And some of the redevelopment projects we deal with are razor thin, the budgets are tight, and sometimes, you know, removal of asbestos or the building itself or the lead paint issues can be the difference between between getting a site revitalized and having that site sit there blighted for a longer period of time. So, you know, we in the Brownfields Office of DEP are particularly excited about the ability for that piece of this puzzle to keep moving forward. So thank you. Awesome. Elizabeth? I'm sorry, actually, Renee. Renee, then we'll jump to Elizabeth. Thank you again for uh, for having me. Um, you know, certainly we have um, people representing different agencies here um, on this podcast today, which is so important, and it shows the collaboration um, that's necessary to move these projects forward. And um, this program, you know, particularly um, at this point in time when we're looking so closely at, um, you know, how we move forward as a state and uh, different ways that um, we can um, overcome various obstacles and issues. Um, this is very timely, and I think that this program will, will help go such a long way in, uh, in moving us forward. Fantastic. And Elizabeth? I have to agree. I think, you know, working together with other agencies and other government entities and the nonprofits and the community is how we're going to get this done. And having that partnership with developers providing these financial uh, tools for them, but also providing technical assistance at the same time is, you know, really providing that full suite that's going to move these projects forward and get these projects really revitalized. And, you know, when you think about where brownfields tend to be, you know, they obviously they can be anywhere, but they tend to be in the more urban settings. And I think that, you know, really focusing our energies in these areas is going to make such a difference in people's lives in the state of New Jersey. And I'm really happy to be a part of this program to make that happen.
Well, that's excellent. And that's all we have. Thank you so much for tuning in to eConversations at NJEDA. And today's topic again was on brownfields. Have a great day.